Yeah, welcome. Again, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. I'm the teaching pastor, so I'm glad that you are here this morning. If you have a Bible, um, I would love for you to grab one. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, Chapter 7. If you don't own a Bible, we have paperback Bibles that are right out there in the lobby. Please feel free to get one. It's a gift to you. Mark, Chapter 7. I'm going to have to be honest with you, there's a lot of just kind of context we're going to have to do uh, to kind of answer some questions that are happening in this particular verse in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, as we have had to do throughout the Gospel of Mark. If you are new with us, maybe this is your first time here, we've been going through uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter, verse by verse, and just so that we could see Christ for who he really is. Now, Mark is... Uh, most likely writing this in Rome. Mark is writing from Rome, and he's writing on the account of the life and death of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for a Gentile's perspective, for a Gentile reader primarily. Now, before you have to go Google Gentile, Gentile is just, you're not a Jew, right? So he's not writing specifically to Jewish people. He's writing for the Gentiles and this is interesting, and this is going to become very interesting uh, in, our, in our text today. And I, so, so let me kind of lay out some groundwork about Gentiles and how Jews viewed Gentiles. They were outcasts. They were aliens. Uh, and in fact, some rabbis would, when in their prayers as they were unearthed, they would regard them as dogs. They saw that Gentiles were cursed and there was perhaps some reason to it, maybe because of their worship to Baal and, and practices of the Roman Empire. So they had a, maybe they had a point at some, some view that these people were just wicked folks and we, it's us and them. It's a racial tension on an extremely, extremely high level. But Mark comes in in, in in Rome and to the Gentiles, and he, and he gives them a new perspective of the gospel. That perhaps this gospel is not just for the Jews. That this gospel that Jesus comes to preach and to live out is also for the Gentiles. The promise of salvation, and, and the promise for salvation, as we read just moments ago, and in Psalm 46, uh, was for the nations. And maybe these Jewish people and their nationalism probably just forgot that maybe the salvation was just for them. But they get it wrong. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, it's always prophesied, always promised that this messianic promise was for the whole nations. Mark is writing this uh, specifically to these Gentile people who were viewed as these outcast people and telling them a simple message that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but it is encompassing for all who would hear and believe this message. And so they are trying to isolate. Mark is trying to expose the gospel. It's not just for the Jews. Well, some would may say, well, Jesus spent his ministry in Israel. Well, okay, maybe. But he also did go into some Gentile regions, which is where we pick up our story today in Mark chapter 7. So you're going to have to just hang with me before we really get to some practical things for us. 
this morning. So Mark chapter 7, verse 24, and it reads this. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. And from there he arose, being Jesus, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose daughter, whose little daughter, had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a part of the Phoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and feed it or throw it to the dogs. Notice how she responds. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. I want us to pray one more time over the reading of God's word this morning. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning and hearing the reading of your holy word that is our authority and the truth upon which we stand on this morning. God, give us ears to hear and, and a heart and a willingness to do and act on what we heard or what we are hearing this morning. May you be glorified and when we leave this room, may we say rejoicingly in our hearts how great and marvelous is our Christ. How great and marvelous is Jesus this morning. Be mighty to save in Jesus' name. Amen. You may want to turn over, thumb over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 gives his account of the story. And I'll be referencing that throughout this uh, message because Matthew gives us just a little bit more detail in how we can kind of figure out what we just read. Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Did Jesus just throw out a racial slur at this woman? So that's kind of, you know, no heavy task that I have to preach from or that I have to answer this morning, but that's the resounding question that we're going to have to address. Now, if I were to unpack this just a little bit more, I think there's something a little deeper going on. And there's two different things and different ideas that we'll address towards the end of this. And that is that the gospel is for the nations. And this is also a story about a woman with great faith is how Matthew's account will walk us through this. So this story is about two things, the gospel for the nations, and it's about a woman and her great faith. Jesus has just left Israel. He is about a year into being, maybe months from being crucified on the cross, and he goes away to this area and to the depths of the Gentile region. Now, the Gentiles, again... This is not conducive for the Jewish people to be in, nor would it have been vice versa because of this racial tension that has gone on. Most of the people have rejected Jesus at this point. The Pharisees and the religious established leadership, 
They hated Jesus. And so Jesus goes and he takes his 12 boys, as Matthew's gospel accounts, and they go to this specific area of Tyre and Sidon. Now let's talk just briefly about Tyre and Sidon. They're in this, they're a part of this country called Phoenicia. Now that's the most Georgia thing I think I've ever heard in my life. Phoenicia, right? You've never been to Georgia. Okay. So they go to this, this area as a part of Phoenicia. And this account, uh, this coastal cities are about 20 miles apart. That is Tyre and Sidon. And they're famous cities. They're famous in history as this is where one of these cities where Alexander the Great was conquered in one of these cities. So they are main cities in the Gentile area. Phoenicia was north and west of Galilee, pressing against the Mediterranean coast. And so Jesus goes there. We don't know how long he's there. It's definitely not a day. It's definitely not a week. But he's there for a while. He's going to this place where he wants a private tour. Notice that it says that he entered the house and he wanted no one to know of it. Jesus didn't want nobody bothering him for just a few moments. He's like, can I just get some peace with my 12? Perhaps it's for the 12 so that Jesus can impart more teaching into them. We don't really know. We don't know why Jesus wanted to go into this private place. But we know that he's in deep Galilean or Gentile territory. And surely the people knew about this Jesus. The stories of his miracles, the story of his healings and his teachings had been going like wildfire, fire, far, um, speaking of Georgia, <laughs> um, spreading around the area. So perhaps these people were familiar with Jesus. And perhaps this lady, this Phoenician lady, maybe she, been, maybe she had been to one of his teachings in the great crowds and, and saw the things that Jesus had been doing. Maybe she had heard the things that he had been saying. And she catches wind that Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, is in her Gentile region. And she doesn't seem to care that he's there for privacy or not. She goes to him with urgency. This lady is a Canaanite woman. They were opponents of the people of God. She was alienated and an outsider. Her people were corrupted. They were corrupted by the worship of Baal. They were corrupted by the wicked practices of the Roman culture. And this woman was a part of this culture and a society, and she was an outcast, and she was a reject. In fact, when she walks into the room in Matthew's account in chapter 15, the disciples said, Jesus, get this woman out of here. They knew that she wasn't just a woman. She was this Canaanite, this Gentile wicked woman entering in and, and, and throwing herself into the conversations of Jesus and his disciples, she would have been lower than a Jewish tax collector. That's how low the people viewed the Gentiles. But Jesus is going to display to us in the story and give an example and a model to us that salvation has come for everyone. That it's not just for a particular group of people. That salvation is for everyone. So she comes to him and she does have quite the predicament. She has a problem. Her young child, perhaps 10 years old, maybe 9 or 8 years old, has been oppressed her whole life 
and possessed her whole life with, an, in Matthew's account, an unclean spirit. A demon was tormenting this little girl. Now, in an American society, the, you know, the talk of demons and supernatural things is just something we don't want to really touch something we don't really want to talk about. But as we have read through Mark's gospel, Mark ain't afraid to talk about these things. Mark ain't afraid to talk about the guy who has a legion of demons inside of him and Jesus just taking him to town. Mark's not ashamed of talking about this. This is one thing, the reason why I love reading through books of the Bible, but kind of takes us and kind of makes me talk through things that I typically wouldn't want to talk about, right? I'm not like one to say, hey, you want to talk about demons today? You know, the whole church is like, yeah, let's talk about demons, pastor, because I've been waiting for that. Yeah, nobody says that, right? Yet here we are again. I know I've lost track, maybe the fourth time, the third or fourth time, where we're at this stage where we're talking about demons again. What is Mark doing in this particular story? Again, he's displaying the authority and the power that Jesus has over the dominion of darkness. And this time, Jesus isn't even going to have a conversation with the demon. That's how powerful this story is going to go. I wonder if this woman had watched her daughter suffer, if she's been under the influence of Roman culture, if she's been under the influence of Baal worship, I wonder if she's taken her daughter to Baal. I wonder if she's taken her daughter to these rituals and ceremonies, looking for like some kind of relief for her daughter, perhaps, maybe. It doesn't appear that that would bring some kind of solution to the problem, does it? No, because she's adamant to Jesus that he is going to heal her. Now, in Matthew's account, Matthew 15, verse 28, I told you to thumb over there, you can see in Matthew's account, it talks about this woman. And I love how Matthew gives um, kind of a, a description of this woman. He says, this woman has great faith. I don't know about you, but I, I, I love that. That is an encouragement for me. That is almost a rebuke for me. That this woman has great faith in Jesus. She has big faith. She has strong faith. And she knows this guy, perhaps maybe she was in the crowd by the Sea of Galilee watching Jesus perform these miracles. And maybe that's kind of mustered up within her, this great faith, because she's seen what Jesus can do for others. Perhaps this woman has the faith that is such great, she knows that Jesus can do the same thing for her daughter. Now, faith is an interesting thing because faith has to be placed Upon an object. It has to be placed on a person. It has to be placed onto something. The question for us that we'll dive into in a little bit is, is what is your faith in? And we can have faith in many things. We can have faith in the economy. And how is that working out for you? I can tell it's working out for me an additional $7,500 a year. How is, you can have faith in the government. Well, I know some of y'all are from California. How, how'd that work out for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. You got faith in anything, and those things will not grant to you the satisfaction that you are looking for. This woman had her eyes on an object, 
And she knew because of her great faith that this man would bring about the relief that she had been looking for. Perhaps that she had been going before the idols looking for, going before the wicked seances and rituals and wicked things to try to find relief for her daughter. She has great faith in knowing that this guy, he, he's, he's the one who's going to bring relief to my daughter. She had great faith in Jesus Christ. So she goes to him. And she keeps asking him to cast the demon out of her. She kept asking him. And Jesus seems to, in this account, de- delay by not responding. Now, from one perspective, that seems that Jesus would be, I don't know, lacking affection, lacking compassion, lacking in sympathy. But I think we know better than that. We kind of see why he's not responding because he's listening. And and we see here in Matthew 15 and 22 where it says she comes to him and she says to him, Lord, have mercy on me. Now, that is a powerful, powerful statement. If you are a Gentile going before a Jewish rabbi, what is this? It's a declaration that she trusts Jesus in who he really is. It is a confession from her heart that I know who you are. I trust and I believe the things that you've been saying. And she's not asking for him to be just before her because she, if she's a part of this culture, then maybe she has been a part of the Baal worship. Maybe she's been a part of the wicked rituals of the Roman culture. So she doesn't go before Jesus and say, be just. She does the opposite. She says, be merciful upon me. She recognizes who Jesus really is and knows that he is the giver of mercy. Sounds like to me, if we were to sum this up in in a 21st century way, she's got her theology right. Isn't this odd? A woman, for one, no offense to the ladies, but y'all weren't looked at in a great way back in this early ancient Jewish history. A woman, for one, has great theology, and she's not Jewish. It seems to me that her theology is way far better than any of the Jews we've encountered thus far. In fact, her theology is probably about as good as the demons, because they knew who Jesus was. And thus far, many did not know who Jesus is. And finally, a woman who is a Gentile, who is a dog, who is an outcast, who is a less than person, has a right theology of Jesus. This is, this is powerful and staggering. Remember, Mark is writing to the Roman citizens telling them the the redemptive power of the gospel and the transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would this not be enough for them to capture that if this woman who is a Gentile can get it, then me as a Roman citizen, me as, as as, as wherever you are in your life, you don't know my story, preacher, you don't know my past, but this would defer you to look to the cross of Christ 
This would defer you instead of looking to your shame, looking at who people say you are, to look to Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Mark is intending here. She asked for mercy. She asked Jesus for mercy. And now there's this really weird thing that takes place. She goes before Jesus, please heal my daughter, have mercy on me. And Jesus gives us an interesting little parable. Talks about crumbs and dogs. Let the children be satisfied first. What does that mean exactly? Well, if you are reading this, then you know, everyone knew that in Israel, the Israelites, they're the, they were the elect. They were the children of God. They were the ones, right? These were the, the people. It was Jesus' culture. But this is a parable, maybe an analogy, which is likely the same thing, mostly, It's like a meal. You have food on the table. You feed the children first, and what falls off of it goes to the rest of the people. This is a priority issue. This is an an understanding that anyone would have had, that the message goes first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. This isn't to say that this is just for the Jews, But this is a message that Jesus is saying here to her. Yes, it goes to the Gentiles, but it's just not time yet. In fact, it's just a few months away. It's just a few months away where Jesus will hang on a cross and give access to every person to the throne of God and his grace This is a critical understanding. Jesus is not telling her that she is a dog. In fact, in the Greek, Jesus even gives a lighter use of the word of dog. Most of the time, dog is used in a derogative type of way and in an insulting type of way. We see this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. But Jesus is kind of giving, and you've got to hang with me, because this was interesting to study. Jesus was giving her a different Greek dog name, as in puppy dog. (laughs) Now, you have to watch how she responds. Was she offended? I don't think so. Was she, did she storm out the room? How dare Jesus, call me a dog. And I think therein lies the answer. And she's like, yeah, okay, but even the pets get what is left over. She understood rightly what Jesus was talking about, that this was a parable about priority, that everyone knew that Jesus and the Messiah was coming first for the Jews, but it wasn't just for them that one day, which in a timeline sense, in a few months, Jesus will give access to everyone. And this is almost like Jesus is using cultural references 
so that she can understand. And so her, her response is, is witty, and I, I like her response because she says, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumb. That's a great response. She's like, listen, I get it. I am an outcast. I get it. I have been alienated. I get it. I am an outsider, and I'm the dog. What a powerful, powerful revelation that this woman realizes who she is in her sin apart from Christ. And let me, let me just, let me press on as if I can, as if you have no other expectation. Outside of Christ, that's who we are. We are alienated, to use Paul's language. We are hostile. We are outcasts. We are, in fact, what Romans would say, we are enemies of God outside of Christ. And she realizes this, and that's why she's saying, have mercy on me. I know I've been doing the idol worshiping. I know I've been doing the Roman practices and the wicked rituals. I know I've been doing these wicked things. But, but won't you allow us to even have a seat at the table? So Jesus doesn't turn her away, nor is the woman offended. But Jesus then, he heals this woman. Now, on a surface, we would think, if I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus, right? Let me give you a, a sharing the gospel 101. When the person comes to you and says, all right, we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus. First and foremost, you are a dog. Can we, can we not, right? I don't think that's probably the approach that Jesus would want us to do. I don't think that that's the approach that I'm going to stand for. In fact, if that's you, please repent. Because you have probably taken this passage out of context if that's what you do. So the woman hears this. She's not offended. She's not resistant. But it's a realization of who she is outside of Christ. But she understands what Christ can bring to the table. That all you need is in Christ. And she knows it. Now there's just two thoughts that I want to give about this passage. As I have alluded to earlier, that this is a, this is a story about how the gospel is for everyone. Imagine being the disciple in the room, right? Some of these disciples were nationalists. Well, well most of these disciples were not. I mean, these are Jewish boys. I mean, America first, right? Except it's Jew, Israel first, right? These, that's these guys. And so for them to see this woman and how Matthew's account uh, gives us that they were disgusted and they wanted her out immediately, Imagine the bomb that drops in this room before these Jewish boys. How Jesus doesn't turn her away, but gives his disciples a glimpse of a, what is about to happen in the very near future. That we are about to see what the prophets have foretold and what the Psalms have been writing about. We are about to see that this message is going to the nations. 
Now, we understand that this wasn't just for the Jewish people. They were God's chosen people indeed. But make no mistake about it. Who are God's chosen people? The church. Right? I know some of us are like, well, wait a minute. Matthew 15, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. He's having a conversation with his disciples, and he says, I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build an ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus did not say, I am here to build a new Israel. But the new Israel is the church. There's only one covenant of grace. Please don't miss that. There's only one covenant of grace, and it is for his church. So what does this tell us? Do we know who is a part of God's chosen people? Do we know who God will call? No, we don't know that. So what does that mean? We've got some work to do. That means that you should feel pressed from this passage that you have work to do in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That since you don't know who's going to be saved, you've got work to do, meaning that you have got to go and proclaim the message of Jesus. Look at this story in depth and see how Jesus could change a woman, a Gentile woman who's pagan in her practices who isn't asking, where's the husband? We don't know. If she doesn't have a husband, this makes matters even worse. Probably left because of the girl's situation. We don't know. And if Jesus can look at this woman and bring the relief and satisfaction, not just to her daughter, but to this woman's soul, does it not Will it not bring that to us? That's what the gospel does. It's, it's fulfilling. It, it gives us life and it gives us purpose and it gives us the reason for why we are here. And that is to know that the gospel isn't just for you. It is not just for a little, our little group here. It's for the nations. And what does that look like? Because I know like I preach sermons and like, okay, go spread the gospel. And like some of us are like, what does that mean? What does that look like? What am I supposed to do? How do I share the gospel? I think there's just two quick things here that I'll give you. You have to get to know people first. And I think that's an obvious one. You listen to them. You learn their story. You learn their backgrounds. You learn their spiritual journey or their past. Or maybe they don't have one. And then you share what Christ has done for you. You share your story and you share what Jesus came to do, that he came to save sinners and that without him we are lost and that you are dead in your sins and the only thing that brings you life is Christ Jesus. This is also a story about a woman and her great faith, just real quickly here. She's desperate. She asks for mercy. She's humble in her response. She is desperate. And she realizes that she's not a part of one of the elite Jews. She's not an Israelite. But she's got something. She's got something that brings her out of the crowd. And that is faith. 
Now, thankfully, the Bible would say we don't really have to have this great faith. It's just remarkable to see great faith, right? Like, what kind of faith do you need? Do you need the great faith? Like, are we categorizing it in our shirt sizes? Well, today, will I wear my small faith? Where I wear my medium faith? Where I wear my large faith? Where I wear my extra large? Where I wear my double extra large faith? Well, the Bible would also say that all it takes is just the faith of a mustard seed. Again, faith on an object. Faith and trusting and believing in that which you are looking to. And again, what is your faith in? Gosh, we, we see this in our world, do we not? We're like, people have faith in all the wrong things. People do have, like it's odd to me that they haven't figured it out yet, but people do have just an overwhelming faith in our government that's just a little bit sick to me. Like the government's going to come in and sweep and like save the day. What? In what world? Definitely not this world. We have faith in our jobs. We have, we're putting so much faith. And here's the thing that what our culture would do uh, today. We, you know what you need to have faith in? You. You know who's going to fail you? You. There's not another person that will not fail you more than yourself. I know that just seems like, why are you degrading me like this? I'm just trying to help you. Why are we putting our faith in so many things when a woman who understands her place in society can look past those things and say, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Now, that's, that's a level of desperation that I just don't see much. And let me, let me be frank to you. Hello, my name is Matthew. I don't even have that desperation in my own heart. That I can go before Jesus with great faith, trusting that he's going to do something. Do you have that desperation? Do you have that same urgency? Do you have that same kind of just something in your heart, knowing Jesus is the one who is going to see you through? Just a couple of quick questions, and then I'm, I'll be done with this one. The first thing is, are we sharing our story and the story of the gospel? And really, who will you share that to this week? That's a challenge to you. You know, sometimes it feels like we are, you know, we are really in a rocky, you know, type environment here, like literally. And I do think that's a spiritual thing to hear. Laboring for the kingdom of God is not for the weak and the faint of heart in Utah. It's not. If you think you're going to go out there and champion and like win millions over to Jesus in like 30 days, okay, I'm not questioning. Maybe I need the great faith of the Canaanite woman. But I would also suggest that sharing the gospel here is going to take a lot of labor, and it's going to take time for us to see. We have to be in this for the long haul. That, that's, that's my commitment. Like I, I'm here for the long haul knowing that it's going to take a while because we are in a spiritual, rocky soil. But here's what I also know, that it's not on me for that person to receive. Eventually, 
what I know and what I have already seen is that eventually the Holy Spirit comes in. And he breathes new life on those seeds that we plant. I don't know when that is. That's not on me to determine. It's on me to be faithful to the call of Christ. Also, what do you have faith in? I urge you, like, is Christ enough for you? Is Christ enough for all of us? We place our faith, our trust, and our hope only in Jesus. Do we trust that he will see us through in our story? Let's pray. Father.